Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Let's turn for the text for this morning's message. Stand, if you would, with me as we honor the Word. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll be reading verse 10 through verse 13. Again, looking at this section of Scripture. Paul writing to the church at Rome, instructing them and us on Christian character. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. The Bible says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Just bow our heads. Father, we come before you and are so gracious and thankful for all that you've done. I ask now that you be with us as we come to the time of preaching, that you would open our hearts and our minds. Speak to us by your Spirit and tell us the truth that you would have us to learn, that we would take from here into our lives and the struggles that we face as we lean on you as our Father. Lord, just please give me the grace to say what is needed. I ask that uh, all things done would be for your glory. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. It has already been expressed why important, uh, why tomorrow is important as we memorialize those who have laid down their lives in service of this country. I think it is a right and good thing to do. So even though we might uh, enjoy the day off work and we might enjoy the kickoff to summer, as it were, do not forget why we have that freedom. People have bought and paid for that with their blood. And we need to be thankful. We need to honor those brave men and women who have fought for our freedom. I want to turn your attention to this passage of Scripture. As we've been spending time with this section, we've kind of been mining the depths, getting in a little bit deeper than than what we read here and trying to understand how it impacts our life. We've been studying Christian qualities, what it means practically to be a Christian. And perhaps you've noticed something as we've gone along, that the Christian life, and I, I use that word in its truest sense, right? In our day, it's thrown around as to mean just anybody who kind of likes Jesus. Well, I'm a Christian. It's used uh, very loosely. The word Christian means Christ-like. In fact, it's not a good word. Well, it's a very good word. It was not meant as a good word when it was used. The brethren at Antioch were called Christians. Oh, you're one of those people who's like Christ. And so we should proudly wear that badge because I want to be identified with Jesus. Right? It means somebody who is Christ-like, who is following Him. So I use that term when I say the Christian life. Somebody who's really following Him. If you've noticed as we've been studying, you see the Christian life is not a natural life. The things that we are to do and the things that we are to say do not come naturally, humanly speaking. Any cursory read of Scripture will bring this out, especially verses like verse 14. Just look ahead of verse. Bless them with which persecute you. Bless them which persecute you and do not curse them. Well, let me tell you right now, you're not going to find that in the world. No, it's quid pro quo as far as the world is concerned. You curse me or you're getting a cursing back and you better watch out. Don't mess with me or I'll mess you up. That's usually the, the mindset of the world. Not blessings on you, even though you hate me and even though you use me, blessings. The Bible calls us to a life that is not natural to our human side. These things... We've been learning about the attributes that we've been learning about are not normal in the world around us. And there's a reason for that because we are not of this world. We are not of this world, as Jesus says in John chapter 18 and verse 36. We have experienced the supernatural, have we not? We have experienced the heavenly. As we trust in Christ for salvation and as we are born again, which, by the way, is an awesome change, isn't it? I was once a dead sinner, but now I am alive in Christ by His grace and by His mercy. I once was dead, now I am alive. Once we uh, uh, trust in Christ for salvation and we are born again, and as we, 
we yield our lives to Him. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us we are made to sit in heavenly places. No more living like the world does. No more living like we used to in the old man. No, we've experienced the heavenly. And so we are to live it. And the scripture calls us phrases like pilgrims, strangers, sojourners. We're in this world, but we're not of it. All because what, of what God has done and is doing through us. And Paul has spent the majority of the book of Romans telling us all about that. Telling us this wonderful truth that we, we know and, and proclaim. And it's wonderful to do that. It's wonderful to know who we are and how we're saved and, and all of the truth that God tells us. But at some point, the rubber has to hit the road. You can have a million dollar sports car in the garage. If it ain't got no tires, it does no good. And you can have all the doctrine you want. If it doesn't take effect in your life, what do, good does it do? At some point, the rubber's got to hit the road. At some point, the truth of who we are, the doctrine of what we believe, it has to have a practical effect. It's got to be lived out in everyday life so that we put aside what comes natural to the flesh and instead, hey, guess what? We live as if we're changed. <laughs> we live as if we're different. We live supernaturally because isn't that exactly what's happened? You know Jesus personally. That ought to change some things. You come here and we worship together and we believe in some wonderful things together. Come Monday morning, those things better be in place or there's something lacking. We ought to live different, speak different, act different because we are. Or you can go about your life and fall asleep for the next few minutes and feel good about yourself and no one will see Christ in you. No one will know. You'd look the same, you'll act the same, you'd be just like everybody else. I don't want to do that. I want people to see God in me. I want them to hear God in me because I might be the only Jesus that they see. Those people I work with on an everyday basis, do they see something different in me? For all of the truth that I believe, do they see it in me? And that's what Paul is calling us to. And we've seen that this covers many different areas of life, but I want to focus on one specifically today, and that's in verse 12. Romans 12 and verse 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. And let me say this, the doctrine, which means the truth we, we believe, doctrine is the truth. Doctrine or our lack of it, will become most evident and most practical in hard times. Doctrine or the lack of it in our lives will become the most evident and the most practical in hard times. It's easy to speak about the goodness and the grace of God and of, of the beauty of Christian living and all the attributes when it's all good and our wallet's fat and we're happy and healthy and everyone around us is the same. When everything is going what we call good, it's easy to be a Christian. But doctrine becomes clearest as in whether or not we really believe what we say in hard times. When things don't go like we thought or like we want. In fact, those hard times will differentiate us most and allow God to be seen in a way unlike any other time. Don't show me how Christians act when the economy's good and we're accepted and Everybody's fine with us. Show me God's true people in hard times by how they act, how they treat their fellow brethren, their attitude of it. That's when the truth will be made known. And Paul mentions here through the Holy Spirit three very important principles that really come into play when we face something difficult. So I want to focus on that this morning just for a short time, we're going to be moving around the Bible, letting it speak for itself. So I suggest you have one. This is church. This is supposed to bring a Bible. You're supposed to open it and read along. So in case you forgot, there's your reminder. 
Perhaps you might be going through one of those hard times, but if you're not, it's not a matter of if, but when. Hard times come. Heartache comes. Tribulation comes. And we're going to need to be reminded of what the Bible says about this. So I pray that let's all look together and we'll see what the Lord has for us. So it's all going to be springing from verse 12. The first thing I want you to notice there is an undimmed hope. An undimmed hope. He says rejoicing in hope there in the first part of the verse. That word rejoicing is Cairo. It means to be full of cheer and full of joy. And I suppose we could focus on that. We are to be a joyful people, are we not? We've got much to be happy about, but yet it seems like we're most, we are more miserable than most people in the world. We walk around, we sit in church with a sourpuss look on our face. What's wrong with you? Aren't you heaven bound? <laughs> Don't you know the Lord of all creation? Aren't we to be joyful? Even if the bank account's not big as we want or work isn't going like we thought and the stock market's tanking? We've got a joy that supersedes that, don't we? Well, I, I hope you do. If not, maybe you need to sit down and pray for a restoration of the joy of your salvation, as David prays in Psalm 51. But there's a reason for that joy. I want to go a little deeper, and Paul does when he, he uses this phrase on the end of that, that um, statement there. Rejoicing in what? Rejoicing in hope. There is a hope that sustains us through all circumstances. There is a hope that supersedes and it is not touched by worldly circumstances. And the Bible uses the word hope in a much deeper way than we use it. Like we, people, well, maybe we, people hope that they'll win the lottery. I really hope that happens. I really hope that so-and-so's going to ask me out. I hope that I get that promotion. It's like, there's a chance, but it could fail. Like, it's not a for sure thing. I really, really hope it all works out in my favor. That's how the world uses hope. That's not how the Bible uses hope. The Bible, when it uses the word hope, speaks of a reality, of an expectation of reality. Like, I know this is going to happen. And so and Paul says, we are rejoicing in a very sure and assured expectation. We sing the song, Blessed Assurance, right? That's a good phrase for this hope. Well, what is that hope? What is it that sustains us? What is it that causes joy? I want you to take a walk with me through Scripture and let it uh, speak for itself. John chapter 3 is where I want to start. John chapter 3. We're going to move steady in, in the um, interest of time, but I still want you to see what the Bible talks about in this great hope that we have. John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus speaking here. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We are separated. We have no way to get back to God. We can't understand the things of God. We can't enter into His presence unless something happens. And Jesus says here, we must be born again. We must be born of the Spirit. Verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, He must be born again. Go down to verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God, not, for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, God has provided the way that we can be born again, that we can be born of the Spirit, and that is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was lifted up on that cross to draw men to Him that we might believe in Him and be saved. And the most famous verse in the Bible tells us all we need to know. God loved us so much He gave His Son for us that whoever believes in Him should not perish but should have everlasting life. 
If you, this is the root of our hope. The salvation that is offered in Christ. The new birth that is offered by faith in Christ. I know because I have believed in Jesus for my salvation that I have eternal life. That is the root of the hope that springs within us, right? That I know I have eternal life because I have believed in Jesus. My life doesn't end here. There is an eternity with Jesus waiting for me. That's where the hope starts. And I pray, I just want to say that from the get-go, I pray that you have that hope, that you can look and, and read this portion of Scripture and say, yes, I know what that means. I've done the same thing. I have been born again. For me, it was March 19th in 1990 when I was an eight-year-old boy at the foot of my parents' bed. I cried out in faith, believing in Jesus as my Savior. And at that moment, my sins were forgiven and I had a new birth, a new eternal life. I pray that you can say the same thing. You have a point that you can look back and know that you were forgiven of your sins and that your eternity now lies in heaven with Jesus. You cannot have any part of the kingdom of God without it. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Notice what the Bible says here. The second chapter starts out saying we're all dead in, in our trespasses and sins we're all serving ourselves following satan and his influence verse four but god but god who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins has quickened us together with christ by grace ye are saved that's what we just read in john chapter three and then he says this he hath raised us up together well how are we raised up together doesn't Romans chapter 6 tell us that? That as Christ was raised up, even so we should be raised up in baptism to walk a newness of life. We've been raised up to a new life, the old man put to death to live for him. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace ye are saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You see, He's caused us to be born again. He has called us to Himself through baptism and made us sit together in heavenly places in this body here. Called us to good works that in the ages to come He might show us Exceeding riches of grace. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Peter here now writing. Notice what he says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you hear that today, church member? There's something waiting for you. An inheritance that can't be taken away by sin or by this world. It's an inheritance that's incorruptible, and it's undefiled, it doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you. I love that. There's a place at the table with my name <laughs> and yours. If I follow him and I'm faithful to him, there's a place there, an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. Verse 5, notice this, who are kept, who's kept? You me. We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen ye love, 
in whom though now you see him not yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. There's so much we could get in and spend time here with, but do you get the, the sense of what he's saying? We have reason to rejoice. We have reason to praise God, not only for his salvation, which he has given us, but for the inheritance which he's called us to. That even though we have to walk through some hard times, we rejoice because we know what is waiting. An inheritance undefiled, waiting in heaven, and God is going to keep us for that inheritance through the trial. Didn't he say that? Wherein ye greatly rejoice. There's a hope in heaven that I have that causes me to rejoice at all times. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, just a couple pages to your right. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24 says this, Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us. Even eternal life. Again, so many deep things, but we have been saved by grace, haven't we? We have been given eternal life. Therefore, in turn, we submit our lives to Him through baptism, saying, I'm not going to live the old way. I'm going to be part of your body now and your people. I'm going to walk with you and serve you. Why? Because of what you have done for me. And throughout the rest of our life, we keep looking back at what we heard at the beginning. That He is Savior, He is Lord, and we ought to serve Him. And if we keep that in mind and what He has done, it says we'll, we'll stay in the right way. That promise that He's given us, even eternal life. Verse 28, Now little children abide in Him that when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Let me just say, there's some people that profess His name they are going to be ashamed. When Jesus comes back and say, hey, why didn't you do what I asked you to do? Why didn't you do what was given to you? There's going to be people that will hide their face in shame. I don't want to be that one. I want to say, Lord, I've been obedient the best I could. I did the best I could with what you told me to do. And John says, you keep in mind that which you heard from the beginning. You'll be confident that is coming. <laughs> Some kids are afraid for their parents to come home early because they've got to clean up or they've got to hide what they're doing or they've got to get home. I remember not caring if mom and dad came home early. There wasn't a whole lot I was hiding. So if they happened to pop in the door early and they said they're going to be home at 9 and they came home at 8 and boom, there they are. Okay, no difference to me. i got nothing to hide. There's some people that are praying Jesus doesn't come soon. There just might be some things in their life they want to get right first. I want to be confident when He comes. If we keep in mind what we heard at the beginning, we shall. Verse 29, If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Stop and consider that phrase. You were a sinner. A sinner, separated from Him, doing your own thing, not caring about the Bible, not caring about God. But God can take you from a sinner to the point where you're called what? A son of God. What love. What love the Father has bestowed upon us. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. That's just a taste of what the Scripture says about the hope that lies within us. The hope is heaven. That hope is eternal life. The hope is the reward that is coming for faithfulness that Christ will bring at His coming. It's, it's the, the hope of God's faithfulness to complete what He has promised. God will do what He has promised. Do you understand that? Heaven is a sure thing. The reward is a sure thing because God has promised it. 
It's the hope that the small investment of faithfulness in my life He asks me to make is going to pay off in an unimaginable way. The closest thing I can probably uh, relate it to is like those people who bought Bitcoin at a dollar when it first came out. And now they're millionaires, right? You understand? Yes, the Lord asks us to be faithful. He asks us to turn away from some things in the world. He asks us to sacrifice some things for Him. But the small investments that we make here in this life as we seek to serve Him, by the way, we will never be more full of joy and peace when we do that. But the small investments that He asks us to make are coming with an eternal reward we cannot even imagine if we're faithful. There's a hope that's in that. Beloved, we have an eternity of unbelievable joy and peace. And perhaps the greatest downfall of God's people today is we've lost sight of the hope and we like right here and right now and the stuff that crumbles, that little money that we can get, we like that more. That's more important to us. I can't go to church because i got to earn or i got to do this or i got to do that. I can't read my Bible because i got to uh, make my career excel. We've lost sight of the greater good. C.S. Lewis puts it very succinctly. It's like we're, we're denying a day at the beach because we'd rather play in mud puddles in the slums. And you get mad? You could say, I'm out of my gourd. Heaven doesn't sound sweet to God's people because earth is sweeter. And therefore, we don't have the hope that we should and we crumble every time something happens in life. Oh, it's so bad. I lost my job. I lost my car. I lost my house. Listen, I'm not saying those things aren't big. I'm saying they're just not crushing to us because we have a greater hope a greater reality than those things. One that outweighs the pain and the sorrow here. And if the truth of that settles in our hearts, we become untouchable. It doesn't mean I have to like what I may be going on. It doesn't mean I have to be doing cartwheels but there's that deep, settled peace to know that the good and gracious God who has saved me and giving exceeding great and precious promises, as the Scripture says, that that same good and gracious God is going to keep me through the trial and lead me home to that hope. That, beloved, sustains us. That's what helps the inexplainable make sense. That's what gets us through because in the end, I know where I'm going. I know what waits. And God leads His dear children along, as the Scripture says, some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood, some through great sorrow, but God gives a song. God leads His dear children along. You see, we have a hope burning, with us, burning within us that produces joy, this deep-seated joy, and it helps us get through the hard times, which, by the way, people will notice. Why are you not so bothered by what's going on? Why this or why that? I have a hope within me and let me tell you why. Let's notice secondly, unfailing faith. Back in Romans chapter 12, it says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Patient in tribulation. And the word that Paul uses there is an in interesting word for patient. Uh, the Greek is hupomeno, and it means to remain, to stay under, to stay in formation. It means through tribulation, I'm going to endure, like not splitting, which so many people do when things don't go their way. People have a sense that following Jesus means health and wealth and prosperity and nothing bad will ever happen. The Bible is clear that that's not the case. Jesus said, the world hates me and they're going to hate you. And anyone who lives godly will suffer persecution. History has shown that. And in reality, really, we really don't know much about that. I think last year has shown us how big of babies we are, honestly, when it comes to external persecution. But that's not to say we don't face other forms of tribulation. That word tribulation, by the way, means pressure. Pressure. We face physical, like as in health, 
tribulation, right? Or mental, or emotional, or relational. We know what it's like to feel the pressure, to feel the trial. So how do we endure it? How do we not cave into the pressure? And it's really tied into the hope that we have within us. That promise of God and His present working in our lives. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says this, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He's talking about that glory that is to come, the glories which we will be partakers of. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 3 says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Hold on, what? You do what in tribulations? We glory. Why? Knowing that tribulation works patience. And patience experience and experience hope. And hope does not make ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given us. Tribulation works patience, and patience works experience, and experience works hope. What is he talking about? You know what he's talking about. How many times have you faced tribulation or a trial that you thought would crush you? The pressure's too much, but you stayed close. You stayed close. You knew enough. I've I got to stay close in prayer. I've got to stay close in reading. I've got to stay close with brethren. Even if you're hanging on by a thread, you still stayed as close as you could to the Lord. And what happened? You experienced Him bringing you through it. That patience that you had, by the way, same word as in chapter 12, that staying close to Him brought you the experience of Him walking you through the trial through the unbeatable pressure, the, the thing that you thought would break you, He brought you through it. And what does that do? Produces hope. God is so good. Look what He's done for me. Look, look what He brought me through. And so when the next one comes along, you have now in your mind, I know He's going to get me through this. And that might be a little bit bigger than the last time, and it might be a little bit harder on you, but God brings you through it, and then the next thing you face might be a little bit bigger. But now, your faith is a little stronger, isn't it? To look back and say, hey, God got me through those. We're going to walk through this together. And so Paul says, I glory in tribulations. Why? It just brings me closer to Him. It makes His power even more real, His presence even more real in my life. You know what? You get that in your life? That's going to lead to some downright, radical, otherworldly, supernatural living. Like as if we're unshakable, immovable citizens of heaven. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Somebody took it out of my Bible. There it is. Hebrews chapter 10. Notice this. Verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great fight of afflictions, partly while you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. These, these, brothers, that, these brothers and sisters that, uh, that the writers writing to had faced some things. They, they came to Christ, they gave their lives to Christ, they're following Him, and immediately the persecution comes and they're made a gazing stock, they're made a reproach, not just because of the afflictions on them, but who they associate with. For you had compassion on me, verse 34, in my bonds. And, listen now, took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. What? You, you, did you hear what he said? You took joyfully... The spoiling of your goods. My car, I love my car. I really love my, my car. <laughs> Everybody looks at me when I drive my car. It's kind of cool. It's got tail fins for crying out loud. I really like it. I don't think it's an idol. Hopefully it's not at that stage, but I really, really like my car. You know what this mindset says? My car, have it. Take it. Here's the keys. My house, 
take it. If you're going to take it for the reproach of Christ, have it. And God bless you as you do. That's insane to the human mind. But we're not talking about the human mind, are we? You took joyfully the spoiling of your own goods, knowing in yourselves, rejoicing in hope, knowing in yourselves that ye have a, in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Take my house, i got a home in heaven that's way better. See, in my father's house are many mansions, and he's preparing a place for me there. And he's coming to get me, to take me there. This is radical, heavenly thinking. Verse 35. Cast away, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto the perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And now we got Hebrews chapter 11 where you've got all of this account of faithful men and women who did just this, who lived in that hope through tribulation, above tribulation, because they knew the reality of the promises of God. I don't have time to go through it. We're running out of time. Let's fast forward to chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Do you see who he points to? The faithful men and women who have held to the promise greater than the current tribulation. To Jesus, who, the one who endured the cross for you, who knows every tear and every sorrow and who is leading you home. The one who is our hope. 2 Corinthians 4, please turn here and see this. I want to be cognizant of time, but I also want you to let this settle in your hearts. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. Verse 16. For the which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is talking in the midst of trials, the one who had been shipwrecked, the one who had been beaten, the one who had been cast out from his own people, the one who had faced more persecution than we could even think. He says that all that is light affliction. Yes, he says, I am troubled, distressed, 
excuse me, troubled, perplexed, persecuted, and cast down. Paul is experiencing that. But he says at the same time, I'm not distressed, I'm not in despair, I'm not forsaken, and I'm not destroyed. All this is light affliction for a moment. The trials here we face are only for a moment. Do you know that? They're only for a moment. The things which we see are not eternal but temporary. Instead, those trials which are temporary are working in us an eternal way to glory. Some of you may say, whether you're listening or were you here, hold on, really? That sounds like a cheesy Instagram post. Light and momentary is death and cancer and depression, light momentary affliction. Are you serious? It doesn't feel light to me. Well, first again, this is Paul writing it, who knows more affliction than we could ever imagine. He knew the crushing weight of the pressure of tribulation. When it feels like you can't even breathe, the days that won't end, the times when it seems like this is not going to stop. I'm so tired of this trial, waking up to it every day and having to, the, it's the last thing on my mind before I go to bed. I'm so tired of it. I can't take this anymore. And if you haven't been there, you will. And you're going to stand up there, pastor, and say, it's light and momentary, hashtag blessed, like my post. Because I'll tell you that right now is how most of the Christian world deals with it. It's something Paul says that literally tips the balance. He says the things, this light, this light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Paul looks past it, the temporary, to the end. And he says, you know what? The scale, the weight is tipped far more on the side of eternity. Far more on the side of glory. Yeah, there may be some heavy things, some affliction, some distress. But God is working in those for glory which outweighs the here and now, a far more exceeding weight of eternal glory. Perhaps he puts it best in the book of Romans. Let me read that to you. You know it. You ought to know it. Romans chapter 8 says this, For I reckon, and now Paul is not a southerner, it's a term to count. I've counted the cost. And here's, here's what it comes out to. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's not even, it's not even comparable. The joy, the peace, the comfort, the restoration that is coming, the sufferings that we have here, though they may be heavy, glory is so much greater. And they're not even worthy to be compared. And I know that because that promise is so rich and that promise is so vibrant and so exceeding, I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are, to them who are called according to His purpose right now. All things are working together for my good to get me there. In fact, does not he say in the end of chapter 8, what's going to separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In all these tribulations we're more than conquerors. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can endure tribulation because we know there's more that is greater. 
The third thing I'd like you to notice just in passing this morning is not only do we have an undimmed hope that produces unfailing faith in us, but we're going to need a lifeline in that. And that is unending prayer. In Romans 12 and verse 12, Paul says, continuing instant in prayer, being constantly diligent. The Bible says this over and over, right? Pray without ceasing. Men ought always to pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Over and over and over, it tells us to continue. Keep on praying. That's for a reason. Prayer is the lifeline. In hard times, it's the lifeline to your Father, the God of all creation, the Keeper of the promises. Do you use it? I guess I could move to a close with that question. Do you use it or is it like only at mealtimes? Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grab, yea, God. And then you start to pray as you fall asleep. And maybe you get to, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. You're out. And there goes your prayers for the night. Is that when you pray? Is that the extent of your prayer life? That's not continuing instant in prayer, is it? (laughs) We have in our minds that it's supposed to be some holy, sacred thing with like candles and people, a choir in the back singing, when every time we pray. No. Well, first, don't forget who you're talking to. You are talking to God. But don't forget who wants us to talk to Him. He wants to hear from you. You understand? Talk to your Father. Tell Him your struggles. Tell Him your weaknesses. Tell Him how the day is going. Tell Him how hard the trial is. Because the Bible says He hears us. He hears us and He answers I want to close in 2 Corinthians 12. So can you turn there? Allow me just a couple more minutes. The Bible tells us to continue instant in prayer. Pray like your life depends upon it. Because there's going to be times it will. Run to Him. Cast your cares on Him. Tell them you can't make it through this trial. You can't make it through the situation. Whatever. Tell them. And you know what? Something's going to happen. 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7. Paul's speaking here. He says, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul was facing something. Might have been medical. Might have been a person. He was facing tribulation, said that was beating me up. So what does he do? He prays about it. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. Paul's a stronger man than me. I think I would have done it probably more than three times. (laughs) Like three times an hour, three times a minute in the same prayer. You ever pray like that? Paul says, I prayed that it might depart from me. Lord, I can't do this. This is, this is breaking me down. Take it away. What does Paul say? Or uh, what does the Lord say? And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I've prayed and not gotten the answer. I thought I did everything right. Fasting, confessing sins, literally praying without ceasing. And God said no. God says, no, you're going to face the trial. But you're going to learn something. My grace is sufficient. My ability to hold you, to walk you through, to keep you through the fiery trial You're going to learn that and you're going to know that in a way that you didn't before and you're going to be closer to me because you're going to be weak. I'm going to be strong for you. I'm going to walk with you. He told Paul that. If there's anybody you would think God would answer his prayers, it would be Paul, but God tells Paul no. But there's something that happens too. Notice, most glad, what Paul says in the end of verse 9, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There is a strength and a relationship and a closeness that with God, with Christ, the, the, the knowledge of His presence, the feeling of His Holy Spirit that only comes when we are weak and broken. And Paul says, I get it. Man, I want to know more of that. I want to know more of you, so whatever comes, Lord. We need prayer. We need that lifeline because there's a communion that we have with Him through prayer that is unlike any other. There's a a giving of strength, of grace, of comfort that helps us through those hard times. Have you felt that? Do you need that? Perhaps you need to pray. None of what we've talked about is a natural reaction to hard times. And it's why so many people are devastated by them. God's people don't have to be. In fact, though we walk through the valley of shadow of death, we can walk fearing no evil. We can come through the trials stronger in His power, being made strong in our weakness, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Things to the human fleshly mind doesn't make sense, but we understand We have a hope that sustains us, a hope that outweighs the temporary struggle, that gives us somehow the strength to endure, to know that the presence of the Almighty God is just a prayer away as He is listening and waiting to help. Beloved, I don't know how you would face hard times without Him, and I don't know who would want to. Can I just say this morning, you don't have to? I pray that you have that hope this morning of eternity, of heaven and the promise with Him. Have you, have you trusted in Jesus for eternal life? Are you following Him with your life? Are you looking for that blessed hope of His return and knowing His presence with you until that day comes? Are you sticking close to Him? or Are you needing His grace? You can have that as we rejoice in hope and Be patient in tribulation and continue instant in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Lord, take these words, use them as you see fit. To those here and those listening, those watching, Lord, that may be facing difficulty or maybe in the future as you know what the road ahead lies, uh, what lies on the road ahead and and what faces us, Lord. I, I pray that you would help this to become a reality in our hearts, the hope that you've given us and the strength that you can give us. And as you keep us through trials and all that we've read, Lord, please help it to ring true in our hearts. Please give us the strength and the eyes and the, the understanding as we let this settle within our hearts, Lord. And whatever the need may be, I pray that you would draw and you convict by your Spirit. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.